0: Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every Sunday night at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Here on Bible Crossfire, you're allowed to call in with your Bible questions. Any Bible topic is game. Make your comments. Even, we can have some disagreement. We want to keep it kind and sweet, but we can have some disagreement because what we're after is the truth. And a man can be wrong, I can be wrong. So if you've got the truth, I want it. The Bible states what the truth is, and that's the only rule we have on this program is the Bible settles all religious issues, all religious questions. If you want to call in, the number to call is 877-655-6755. Joe from Virginia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. First of all, thank you for your program, sir. Thank you for all the hard work you put into spreading the gospel. Now my You're question, welcome, Joe. Please. Thank you for your call. You, in Acts, you've talked about how Paul got saved after he was baptized, and that's when the scales fell off, and that's when he was saved. Well, I was thinking of he was saved when he was baptized. I was probably, I was reading Acts 22, 16. You know, Saul believed on the road to Damascus. You can see that from Acts 9. 22 and 26, but yeah, now I agree. he's told to go into the city. He's in the city three days, and in Acts 22:16, but when Ananias finally gets there, he says, "And why now, why tarryest thou?" Now, y'all might people up in the north might say "Tarryest thou," but we would say in the south, "What you waiting <laughs> on?" Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So, I'm suggesting that he wasn't saved from his sins when he believed on the road to Damascus. But three days later, he's told to be baptized to get his sins washed away. Is that what you're talking about, Joe, that I may have mentioned a week or two ago? Yes, sir. That That is act, actually my question now is when did Peter get baptized? When did John get baptized? Because I can't find it in the Bible. Okay, you mean the apostles, Peter and yeah. John, right? Yes. Well, the Bible never specifically says when they got baptized, but I'm assuming based upon what we read about John the Baptist and Jesus baptizing that the apostles were baptized with John the Baptist's baptism, uh, you know, during the ministry of Jesus. I'm assuming that's true, but it doesn't specifically tell us when they got baptized. All right, that'll work. But that, that's okay. plausible. Okay. Yeah. You'll never actually read. When they were baptized. But now Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.21. He says baptism. And he's talking about water baptism. Because he relates it back. You remember 1 Peter 3. Relates it back to the waters of the flood. Right. Right. And he says baptism. also now save us. So he seems to be including himself. When he says talking to Christians. That baptism saves people. As if he also was among the number that got baptized to be saved. So I don't have any doubt that Peter was baptized for the remission of sins, as he teaches in Acts 2.38, and that's the same reason John the Baptist baptized for the remission of sins. We just don't know when he got baptized. We don't know for sure who baptized him. Okay. All right. But we definitely sense? know the apostles were saved. We have no doubt, no question about that at all. They were saved. Yeah. Like the I said, Jews. first Peter... First Peter 3 said, baptism doth also now save us. It sounds like he's saying, you and me, were sa- when we say us, we mean the people you're talking to and myself. So uh, he's saying, you and me were saved by baptism. And of course, when we say baptism saves, or when the Bible says that, it doesn't mean that baptism earns your salvation. No, no, the death of Christ is what earns our salvation. Really? Baptism is just, it's like belief. Belief, you believing in Christ doesn't earn your salvation. No, the death of Christ earned your salvation. Belief and baptism are just conditions we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. So in Acts 22, 16, when Saul is told to rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, we're not saying there's something magical in the water that will wash away people's sins. No, the blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. Revelation 1, 5. The question well, is, when does it wash away our sins? When we believe? That's not the way it happened with Saul, with Paul. His sins weren't washed away when he believed. They were baptized they were washed away by the blood of Christ when he was baptized according to Acts 22:16. Do you agree, Joe? Yes, sir. Thank you. Pre- Thank you. Appreciate your call. Thank you calling. You call me back anytime, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. So if you have a Bible question or comment, now that Joe's off the line, the number to c- call, the lines are wide open is 877 877- six five five six seven five, five, and the number to call is eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. Last week, we were talking about the question that was raised on a program about five years ago. why are there so many interpretations of the Bible, and we talked about a few reasons, and the thing we want to emphasize is that well Since there's so many churches, which represents different interpretations, we might say, people just assume, because there's all these different interpretations, that the Bible must be hard to understand. We're trying to prove last week and this week that, no, the reason there are all these different interpretations, not because the Bible's hard to understand, there are other factors that come into play. And we'll talk more about those in just a minute. Shelby from Alabama, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please.
1: Yes, I recently read a commentary about how the word repent just means to believe. Not that it means to go back and not do sins anymore, but they, you know, some sort of word, Aramaic, I'm not sure where they came up with, but anyway, that, that, so really all Jesus was saying was to believe on him. He never said to stop sinning to be saved, but simply repent, which would mean by according to this commentary, just believe in him. Of course, I don't agree with that, but I, I, what I'm asking you is, where in the Bible does it specifically say to be saved, you must stop sinning, not just repent? Of course, when I read repent, I think repent means to quit sinning. But this this commentary said, well, no, it doesn't even mean that. It just means to start believing. And so, anyway, so I tried to read the passages, but I, it, where does it say repent? And also stop sinning to be saved.
0: Okay. Shelba, that's a very good question. And I agree with you. The guy who wrote this commentary just talking out of the side of his mouth. He's just making up stuff. And that's what most people do in religion. Let's try to talk about where the Bible would teach what repentance means, how it relates to trying to change your life in regard to sin. That's what you're really asking about, right? Yeah. First of yes. all, let's... Well, I, t- I
1: want to find that passage that says... Repent, uh, stop sinning, uh, then you're saved.
0: Okay, I'm going to do that, but it's going to take me a, a couple minutes. Okay. All right. So all first, right. let's to more than just one passage. I want to turn to first. Let's go to Matthew 21, and this is going to illustrate this little story that Jesus told. It's going to illustrate what repentance means. He says, in Matthew 21:28, Jesus is speaking. He says, "But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said," Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. Now, so far, we're not talking about sin. We're just trying to show what repentance means. He said at first, I'm not going to go work in the vineyard, but he repented and went. Repentance means, is it Shelby or Shelba? Shelba. Shelba. It means here, repent would mean he changed his mind. He wasn't going to go work but he changed his mind and went. He changed his mind. Now, in regard to repentance from sin, I like to turn to Hebrews 6, verse 1 to start with. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. So repentance and faith are two different things. You see that? Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. We're in the middle of a list of things that we consider to be the first principles. And he lists two things there. Repentance from dead works and faith. So repentance and faith, you see that, Shelba, are two different things. Right?
1: Well, Hebrews yeah, six, one, but,
0: And it tells okay. you that the repentance, we've already talked about repentance being a change of mind. This says repentance from dead works. So the thing that we're repenting of, we're changing our mind about, is these dead or bad works, like sinful works, for example. Now here's a passage in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 18, 21 says, But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, he shall not die, all his transgressions that he hath committed... They shall not be mentioned to him in his righteousness that he hath done. He shall live. Do you see there in Ezekiel 18 that if the wicked wants to be forgiven, he has to turn from his sins and start living righteously. Hebrews 6 1 says we have to repent from dead works. That means to change our mind away from those dead works. Does that make sense so far, Shelba?
1: It does, but it, in, in the passage you just read about, uh, the wicked, the wicked, Ways. Did it say repent from your wicked ways or it just says turn from
0: your wicked ways? Turn from your wicked ways, which really is a synonym for repent, turn. But the, the, if you don't think that's a synonym, then go back to Hebrews 6.1 because it actually uses the r- word repentance, repentance from dead works. So it's clear that's what we're repenting from is sin. And so when we read a passage like, Acts 2.38 or Acts 3.19 that require repentance, we're not talking about belief per se, because we see in Hebrews 6.1, he says repentance from dead works and a faith toward God. They're two different things. So in Acts 2.38, he's already talking to believers. These people had already believed. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. So, of course, that would show that baptism is when all your sins are washed away. In the previous caller, we just learned that Saul's sins were washed away when he's baptized. But getting baptized is not going to do any good unless you repent. It says repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. What do we repent of? Well, Hebrews 6.1 says repentance from dead works. In Romans chapter well, let me, I mentioned before I go to Romans 6, I mentioned Acts 3.19. There we're talking to, again to people who are non-Christians. It says, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So back to both Acts 2.38 and 3.19 show that repentance is necessary to becoming a Christian, to be saved. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 6.1 shows it's repentance, changing your mind about dead works. And in Romans 6, he he's discussing baptism. And notice what he says ought to be the result of baptism. In other words, what after you're baptized, what ought to happen with your life? He says in verse 17, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. That's talking about before their baptism. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. In other words, they obeyed the gospel, which includes baptism. Being then made free from sin forgiveness of sins you became the servants of righteousness so they quit serving sin that would be turning from their sins repenting of their sins repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action and then once they got baptized God expects them to follow through on that commitment they're freed from their sins they're forgiven and they become a servant of righteousness you see that in Romans 6, 17 and 18 Shelba yes
1: I I, I agree with you but when you know when I read that that that's just a prime example of how it seems so well thought out and it can confuse and undermine, you know, the, the truth, truth of the Bible. And it, it, it's very annoying, so I guess I was just trying to, you know, get some solid, you know, uh, rebuttal against that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, you think of kids reading things, you know, and then they they stumble onto that. And then they think, Well, wait, they've got a point right here and you know.
0: Yeah. Um, and they think they can just believe in Jesus and be saved without and still live and, and still keep on yeah, in their sin. Yeah, cause, cause, and so yeah, just, let me give you a little hint, Shelba. When you hear preachers, modern most modern day preachers today, including on Sirius XM, and these commentaries, what's driving a behind a lot of their teaching is they want this to be true and this wishful thinking. They want it to be true that a person can be a Christian and go to heaven. And still live any old way they want to. That's, that's, dry, that's behind the whole once saved, always saved theory. That's behind what that guy was saying that all you got to do is believe and you don't really have to repent. They want it to be true. They want it so badly to be true that they can keep on living like the world and still be a Christian and still be saved. That, that if they don't have to give up fornication, they can stay, if they're married two or three times, they can stay with their second or third wife. If they're homosexual, they can keep being homosexual. If they're a liar or a thief, they can keep lying and thieving. And preachers want to preach a doctrine that says you can be saved and stay in your sins. Because that's what all their listeners want to hear. The listeners in the pews want to hear, I can be a Christian, I can be saved, and I can stay the same way I am. I don't have to repent of my sins. Do you see that, Shelba? That's what they're, That's what's behind almost 95% of the preaching today, including on Sirius XM. All of these preachers on six XM, that's what they're trying to get at. You can keep living like you are, a sinner, stay in sin, and still be saved. Because repentance is not necessary. Only belief is necessary. Have you seen that in listening, Shelba? No, oh, yes, I
1: do. I, 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 I see that a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. That's
0: behind the doctrine that you're saved by faith only. See, they're trying to rule out. Not only are they trying to rule out obedience and baptism, they're really trying to rule out repentance, most of them are. They want it to be true that you don't have to repent to be saved from your sins. And, and if that were true, that that would be kind of nice. You could just cheat on your wife. You do anything you want to and still be saved. But the Bible teaches against that, I would say, at least five times on every page. At least five times on every page. But they just ignore those passages because they want it to be true. You ever heard the expression, wishful thinking, Shelba?
1: No, yes,
0: yes. It's wishful Thank thinking. God. We can live the way we want to live in sin and still be saved. And they'll say, because Jesus took care of our sins on the cross. Well, he did die for our sins on the cross, but to receive the benefits of that death, it's conditional. You have to believe in Christ. Atheists aren't going to be saved, John three sixteen. You have to repent of your sins, 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So if you want to avoid perishing, you're going to have to repent of your sin, 2 Peter 3, 9. You have to be baptized, for example. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So salvation that's provided for by the death of Christ is conditioned, including being conditioned upon repentance, changing your life, quit serving sin, and start serving Christ. Sheba, thanks so much for your call. Any more follow-up?
1: Uh, well, no, thank you. I, I know you got other topics, but I'll, I'll call
0: hey, in. Thank you. Don't tell me exactly where, but whereabouts in Alabama do you live? I live near Huntsville. Oh, yeah, I
1: just, was, I just was coming out of Huntsville
0: right now. Okay, well, you have a good evening. Appreciate your call.
1: You too, you too. Uh-uh, bye-bye.
0: The lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. And what Shelby was talking about, Brings me to the point I was going to bring up about why there's so many different interpretations of the Bible. And it's because this is not the only reason. We, we've been through about four or five reasons last week. We have four or five more to go this week. But the one on my list now is because what the Bible plainly says sometimes interferes with how we want to live. So people have different interpretations of the Bible, not because the Bible's hard to understand, but because it's easy to understand, but if we take it for what it says, it's going to interfere how we want to live. Let me give you an example quote that help us understand where, I, where I'm coming from. This is a quote from Sir Julian Huxley, who was one of the world's leading evolutionists. Here's what he said. He, suppo- he said, I suppose the reason we leaped at the origin of species was because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores or practices. So the origin of species is the big book that Charles Darwin wrote that basically gives us the theory of evolution that started the whole the whole thing off. And he says, Huxley says, "Well, we leaped at that because the only alternative to the theory of evolution was that God created, and if there's a God that created, we're responsible to Him, and that would interfere with our sexual practices. In other words, He wants to have; He doesn't want to be limited in his sexual relations to one woman for life. You know, He wants to be able to have sex with more than one woman." Wants to have maybe more than one wife in his lifetime, divorce and remarriage. But if you believe that God's the creator and the Bible is the word of God, you can't do that. So they leaped at the origin of species. They believed the theory of evolution. Not because the theory of evolution is logical or scientific, but because they can believe the theory of evolution and now they can have sexual freedom. You see Believing what the Bible says interfered with the sexual mores, his, his practices or custom. So he wanted to not believe the Bible, not because the Bible isn't, shouldn't be believed, there's anything illogical about the Bible, but because he wants to have sexual freedom. Well, don't we really have the same thing going on today in divorce and remarriage? Jesus said in Matthew 19:9, 9, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, And shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, I suggest to you that verse is not really that hard to understand. It's pretty simple. I've been married to Carol for 34 years. If she were to step out on me, cheat sexually with another man, then Jesus is saying I have the right to divorce her and remarry. But if she doesn't cheat on me, If I divorce her for any other reason, like, for example, the most common cause of divorce in Alabama is incompatibility. So if I divorce her for incompatibility or any other reason other than fornication, that God does not approve of that divorce. And the verse is saying that if I remarry, let's say I marry Betty, that second marriage is called, Jesus calls it adultery. So every time I sleep with that new wife, Betty, I'm committing adultery. What would that imply? Well, that would imply that if I want to repent of that, And I'm glad that Shelba called in and talked about repentance. If I'm going to repent of that and get forgiveness, I'm not going to be able to stay in that marriage with Betty. I can't just say, God, I'm sorry for my adultery. But, oh, by the way, I plan to commit adultery with Betty uh, tomorrow night or next weekend, you know, get in bed with her. You can't do that. So repenting of adultery means terminating terminating that adulterous marriage and seeking reconciliation with your, your original spouse. The Bible clearly teaches that. It's not really hard to understand that if you get in a second or third marriage like that, if you want to be right with God and go to heaven, you're going to have to get out of that marriage. Go back to your first spouse. That's not hard to understand at all, really. Matthew 19, 9 is clear on that. But why do about 99% of the preachers across the land, United States and Canada, say, oh, just ignore that? You know, don't ask, don't tell policy. Just stay in whatever marriage you're in. Because... Believing what the Bible clearly teaches on this interferes with how we want to live. And if the preachers preach the truth on this, they might lose 20% of their congregation. Because I've been told most churches, 20% of the adult membership is in a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19.9, an adulterous marriage. If the preachers preach the truth on it, it's not hard to understand, it's clear. But if they preach the truth on it, 20% of their congregation may leave. They're going to lose their contribution. They're going to be fired as the preacher. You see, so it, we don't have a different interpretation on divorce and remarriage because the Bible's hard to understand. Nothing hard to understand about Matthew nineteen nine. It's because believing what Jesus said in Matthew nineteen nine, what He clearly said and plainly said, if we believe in that, it's going to interfere how we, with how we want to live. We won't be able to divorce and remarry and divorce and remarry and just stay in those second and third marriages, and and uh, and still be considered. Faithful members of our congregation. We won't be able to do that if we believe what the Bible clearly says on this. So it's not because the Bible's hard to understand because, uh, we don't have different interpretations of the Bible here because the Bible's hard to understand on divorce and remarriage. That's not it. It's because believing the truth on divorce and remarriage will interfere with how we want to live. We appreciate so much you, you listening this evening. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877 877- Six five five six seven five five. You know, something to related to what I was just talking about. Many times we have different interpretations of the Bible, not because the Bible's hard to understand, but because what the Bible plainly says contradicts what we wish the truth would be. I asked Shelba, you know what wishful thinking means? Well, I think that's what drives behind this doctrine of once saved, always saved, that we talk about every now and then. There's nothing hard to understand about Galatians 5.4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. You cannot fall from a tree if you haven't been in a tree. You can't fall from grace unless you've been in grace. So there's nothing hard to understand about this verse. It's clear. It's 100% conclusive. A person can be in grace, saved, fall out of grace, loses salvation. Then why do so many preachers preach once saved, always saved? Because believing what the Bible plainly says about this contradicts what we wish the truth would be. People want the truth to be what's saved, always saved, so they can live any old way they want to and still be saved. Let me see if I can take this call real quickly. Robert, i got to go off the air in about 30 seconds. What's your question real quick? I was just trying to see where the grace in uh, that when you were talking about marriage, like, isn't. Once Jesus died, because he made that statement before he died, once he died, didn't grace kick in? And so that allows, I'm not saying for people to for be able call, to do whatever they want. Thank you for your call. Thank you for your call. You know, there was grace even before Jesus died based upon the death of Christ. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So grace and mercy comes in when you confess and forsake your sins. If you stay in an adulterous marriage, you won't receive mercy. If you'd like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me, 256 682